Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You've heard of the placebo effect, but are you aware of the nocebo effect, in which the human body has a negative physical reaction to a suggested harm? Your mind has the power to create its own physical reality. This will make you vomit. Why do we yawn when we see others yawn? Throughout history, there have been incidents the dancing plague of 1518, the Tanganyika laughter epidemic, the Hindu milk miracle. Some believe they're a response to stress. Psychologists call it a conversion disorder, in that the body converts a mental stress to a set of physical symptoms, in this case, a tick or spasm. And, like any disorder, it can be contagious. This kind of collective behavior is not limited to human beings. What we know is that in certain communities, under specific circumstances, an involuntary physical symptom developed by one person can become viral and spread from person what was that? To person. Person. Until the entire community is infected. And so my question to you is, if the idea of illness can become illness, what else about our reality is actually a disorder? Happy Heresies and welcome to the Desert of the Real. And thanks for that speech, John Hamm, you semi-omniscient narrator of the Gnostic Gospel, Legion. We will be discussing a whole lot of Hermeticism in this eternal now. 
Yeah, but uh, what does the Legion quote have to do with Hermes, you may be asking? Easy. Hermeticism, as Gary Lockman wisely stated, is, quote, the religion of the mind. As we are housed in the universe, so is the universe housed in our minds. The microcosm and macrocosm of Hermes thrice great. You want to understand the universe, embrace the universe. The, the door to the universe is you. Me? You? Me? You are really intense. Both the Gnostics and Hermeticists contended that the ultimate consciousness was nothing more than a perfect mind in an eternal state of imagination, contemplation, and compassionate wonderment. The mind of Christ that Paul talks about. The Pleroma of the Valentinians or the Eternal Realm of the Sethians. Philip K. Dick said that since the universe is made of information, then it can be said that information will save us. Thus, Gnosis allows us to calibrate our minds to the mind of God and become one and the same, as it was always meant to be. Is this all real? Or is it just happening inside my head? Of course it's happening inside your head, Harry. Why should that mean that it's not real? Our minds are so powerful, you see. As the Legion quote declares, all based on science and psychology, our minds can change our health and reality itself. And that's even without getting into Donald Hoffman or Bernardo Castro. Furthermore, depression, anxiety, and stress can be contagious. And lastly, our present reality could be a shared mental disorder or psychic pandemic we're all suffering from right now. Human beings are the only animal that forms ideas about their world. We perceive it, not through our bodies, but through our minds. We must agree on what is real. Because of this, we are the only animal on Earth that goes mad. We can change all of that. We can imagine better and make better realities. We can become clear in vision, tune our thoughts to those of the ultimate consciousness, become immune to the cosmic nocebo effects of the demiurge that made humanity mentally sick to the point we manifested this current universe. We can do that and so much more. You can do it, and you've come to the right place to gain that gnosis, to wake up, to reach your potential and unleash that universe that is within you. As Stacy Martin said, I find myself homesick for a place I do not know, but somehow have not forgotten. I remember I am energy, not memory, not self. My name, my personality, my choices all came after me. I was before them and I will be after and everything else is pictures picked up along the way. So welcome to Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio with I, your host and pompadus of Gnosis, Miguel Connor. Welcome to finally understanding you can attain the mind of God. 
Stop denying your potential and allow Hermes and Sophia to guide you through the doorways of perception to see everything as it is, infinite. By the power of truth, I, while living, have conquered the universe. What we do in life echoes in eternity. You'll get closer on this episode, for we have the pleasure of being joined at the Virtual Alexandria by David Pantano. He will discuss his new book, The Hermetic Physician, The Magical Teachings of Giuliano Kremitz, and The Fraternity of Miriam. Ready yourself for anti-nocebo doses of classical renaissance and occult hermeticism. David shoves that caduceus up the rectums of so many false realities. We could only do an hour because of some Archon monkey shines. So for all subs, I will include a past interview with Tobias Churton, where he discuss hermetic philosophy, the connection of Hermes and Enoch, and a lot on hermeticism and modernity. Pure alchemical gold. You'll love this bonus. There's an old Zen koan. goes like this. Everyone has two lives. And the second life begins the moment you realize that all along, you only had one. You have the mind of God within you. An entire universe. And as both the Gnostics and Hermeticists claimed, we are all connected by our divine sparks emanating across and beyond time and space. Like the Koric Cosmos says, animals and plants come from our human souls, and therefore our becoming conscious means more compassion, caring, and understanding for the world, for the universe, for the least of our brothers. You have the mind of God. You have limitless love. Don't let them fool you into thinking your mind is just gray matter when in reality it is the font of almost unlimited possibility, healing, and laser-eye purpose. That's a fact. That's what the Archons and their Karens and Katamites in the establishment are trying to hide from you. Let's imagine better and break out from this agreed mental disorder with contagious depression, anxiety, and stress. It is our birthright. As Clark Emery wrote, the awakening of any individual is a cosmic event. We can make anything we fancy in this arena of infinite promise. And this is what we come up with? Weapons? War? Surely we have more imagination than that. For more context, let me quote from Gary's seminal book. The Quest for Hermes Trismegistus. We can still learn much from Hermes himself. If nothing else, his call for us to be caretakers of the earth is clearly much needed today. And if this is all we learn from him, we shall profit from it considerably. But while we should certainly fulfill the obligations of one side of our nature, we should not allow those of our other half to fall into neglect. One way to avoid this is to muster that godlike concentration of consciousness, the thrice great one required of his students in order to grasp his teaching. 
lest it comes like a rushing river tumbling in flux and outruns any effort we make to understand it. The similarity between this and Favre's intense and focused curiosity seems clear. It is through efforts like this that the two branches of knowledge, gnosis and episteme, with which we began this essay, come together and inform that third path. As his sobriquet suggests, Hermes is our most trusted guide. That path, however, is not straight. It curves and curls and twists like the serpents of his caduceus. And if we happen to lose our way, which is altogether possible and in fact to be expected, we may find some unknown treasure, some Hermion, that makes the detour more than worthwhile. Hermes, we remember, is the god of travelers, not of destinations or arrivals. And as the world is infinite, so too is the knowledge of it. In fact, with each new incremental advance of our knowledge, the world itself increases by so much. You want to keep things on an even keel, I guess is what I'm saying. You want to go with the flow. The sea refuses no river. The idea is to remain in a state of constant departure while always arriving. Saves on introductions and goodbyes. The ride does not require an explanation, just occupants. And as Rilke tells us, each act of consciousness may indeed create new worlds. So there is much at stake. The prospect is certainly challenging, daunting even. But it is also powerfully exciting and a tremendous lure for that intense and focused curiosity that fuels this never-ending quest. As P.D. Spensky wrote, at the close of a book that emerged from his experience with his ashtray, the real, true progress of thought exists only in the widest possible striving towards knowledge, a striving which does not admit the possibility of resting on any forms of knowledge already found. The meaning of life, Uspensky recognized, lies in eternal seeking, and only by seeking shall we ever find new reality. This is one way to describe the hermetic path. It is a very good way, I think, and it is in this sense, I believe, that we should follow the teachings of Hermes Trismegistus. To live is to risk it all. Otherwise, you're just an inert chunk of randomly assembled molecules drifting wherever the universe blows you. My friends believed in me, but they need some kind of hero. Then be a hero. Don't you see? It's not about you. It's about them. Don't know that you've got a choice, son. No man can walk out on his own story. Let us end with a mercurial interaction with Pickle Rick and his therapist, which underscores the nuance of our two competing states of mind, and what I've been talking about, that domain of the trickster Hermes. What choice will you make? What side are you on, at least today?
Why didn't you want to come here? Because I don't respect therapy. Because I'm a scientist. Because I invent, transform, create, and destroy for a living. And when I don't like something about the world, I change it. And I don't think going to a rented office in a strip mall to listen to some agent of averageness explain which words mean which feelings has ever helped anyone do anything. I think it's helped a lot of people get comfortable and stop panicking, which is a state of mind we value in the animals we eat, but not something I want for myself. I'm not a cow. I'm a pickle. When I feel like it, so... You asked. Rick, the only connection between your unquestionable intelligence and the sickness destroying your family is that everyone in your family, you included, use intelligence to justify sickness. You seem to alternate between viewing your own mind as an unstoppable force and as an inescapable curse. And I think it's because the only truly unapproachable concept for you is that it's your mind within your control. You chose to come here, you chose to talk, to belittle my vocation, just as you chose to become a pickle. You are the master of your universe, and yet you are dripping with rat blood and feces, your enormous mind literally vegetating by your own hand. I have no doubt that you would be bored senseless by therapy, the same way I'm bored when I brush my teeth and wipe my ass, because the thing about repairing, maintaining, and cleaning is, it's not an adventure. There's no way to do it so wrong you might die. It's just work. And the bottom line is, some people are okay going to work, and some people, well, some people would rather die. Each of us gets to choose. This is the Aeon Bide interview. And with us, we are very happy to be joined by David Pantano to discuss his new book, The Hermetic Physician, The Magical Teachings of Giuliano Cremertz, and the Fraternity of Miriam. David, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me, Miguel, and um, I look forward to our conversation. Pleasure is all ours, and uh, as I mentioned before in our pre-interview chat, a uh, great book, and it is definitely a pleasure to bring light to a sort of overlooked but uh, important exemplar in the esoterica and hermeticism, uh, modern type. But with us, before we get into that, we still have who I considered my number one favorite Italian occultist, and that is Van Sacchi. Hello, hello. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, I've heard you know quite a bit about hermeticism generally, and I was surprised, you know, when I was learning about it, uh, just how um, how foundational it is to a lot of things and its relation to uh, Platonism and so forth. It's a very important movement in the early years of mankind. Yeah, and it didn't get the it didn't get the persecution or fury that Christian Gnosticism got, even though Hermeticism and Gnosticism are basically cousins. Some say one in the same font of Egyptian lore that just took one took a pagan uh, direction, the other one took a Christian one. But uh, before we get into all of this, David, how did you become interested in uh, Hermeticism or the uh, the Western mystery tradition in general? Yeah, um, I guess my interest goes back um, to reading the Neoplatonics, uh, authors, uh, Greek literature, uh, Plato himself, and uh, uh, and uh, fast forward that a uh, couple thousand years to the Ren Italian Renaissance, where uh, the um, really the in the in the Western world, anyways, the Hermetic texts were rediscovered in 1460 by um, an Italian friar 
uh, named uh, Guitone of Pistoia. And it was on behalf of the uh, Fl Florentine um, uh, uh, governor of Tuscany, named um, Cosimo de' Medici, who mentioned, um, who had uh, his leading scholar of the day, Marsilio Ficino, to stop translating the Platonic texts and to go directly to the Hermetic texts. That's how much they were valued. And uh, from, I guess, the from that work, itself and uh, the, the 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 scholarly uh, material that followed the translation from Ficino, Giordano, Bruno, Pico della Mandela, della Mandela John D, Robert Flood, etc, etc, that really piqued my interest. And um, I guess the time around the 1600s when uh, Descartes uh, came out with his propositions and and uh, there was a turn and turn away from um, a, a gnosis or an internal revelation to a truth that's based solely on empirically uh, defined and observed traits. That hermeticism went underground again. And uh, I thought the, the authors I like, the ones I just mentioned, I thought it ended with uh, Descartes and. Little did I know, um, I guess around um, in my in my personal experience in the 1980s, reading the works of an, another Italian hermetic writer, you may may have heard of him called Julius Evola. Oh yeah. He he made mention to this uh, Italian this magisterium of writings associated with this Italian magus called Giuliano Kremeritz, and I never heard of uh, Kremeritz, and that really spawned my interest, and then. There wasn't any books available in North America, in Toronto. Um, so I had to do some search, go to the library. And uh, back in those days, it was pre-internet, had to send a fax or write by uh, paper mail uh, to, to a publisher in Tuscany to order some of his books. And, and I was blown away that the quality of writing, the the depth, the significance was of the level that I, the authors I mentioned, but also it included modern con or more modern concepts of psychoanalysts and science, and it just um, been hooked ever since. Wonderful, and thanks for sharing. And yes, uh, Hermeticism was huge in Greco-Roman times, late antiquity, uh, even in uh, yeah Greek-Egyptian times with Doth Hermes, Hermes Trismegidos. It was just uh, where all the magic and esoteric and uh, really innovation really happened. But some have said, David, that the Hermetic texts really transform the psyche of uh, Western Europe, not even Western Europe, but also Islam too. Hermes was huge in exactly. Islam and they, yeah. they, he really changed, they say they changed the psyche of the Islamic uh, uh, culture, but it did the same in Western Europe. It taught us uh, humanism, the elevation of the spirit, the idea, the potential, the endless potential of the human mind to create, explore. Would you agree with this, that the Hermetic texts were sort of a, I don't know, a Viagra for the human psyche? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about the Viagra, but the, to the <laughs> human analogy, psyche, but <laughs> uh, your, your paraphrase, uh, your, your summation of of the impact of the Hermetic texts is I think is right on, both uh, in the Christian world and the Islamic world. There was even a Hermetic society in 
Turkey all the way up to about the 12th century uh, um, uh, with a town called Haran, um, where they were still practicing hermetic uh, rituals and practices. So without a doubt, I mean, the, uh, just uh, the reading the, uh, uh, the Emerald Tablet, which is sort of like uh, the guidelines for hermeticism, and you see how relevant that, that uh, those texts, those, pr those principles still are, that everything is interconnected. Everything uh, rolls back up to the one and, and then precipitates, precipitates back down into the multiple. And that's sort of the premise of, of hermeticism, that we're not these, uh, like we think of the ego, where these separate uh, individual, individually separated from, from the world, from each other, that we're all connected at a, at a deeper level. And that fundamental premise, I think, um, resonates with me because it does bring everything closer together. And it does show that, that how a change in one element of the great cosmos can affect, uh, can, can have a domino effect in other parts of the, of the, um, of the universe. Well said indeed. And, uh, what, as uh, scholars have noted, what happened uh, was that at some point, even before Descartes, that scholarship figure out that Hermes wasn't this really antediluvian guy who was like rubbing, rubbing shoulders with Moses and all that, so that he sort of fell out of favor in the churches, uh, Catholic and Protestant churches, and then uh, because it wasn't ancient, it, it was, you know, in AD that it was written. So it wasn't really that old or ancient or had that much pedigree. So Hermes fell out of favor. But could you tell the audience, uh, did he, or specifically in Italy, how did Hermes uh, continue yeah, to exist? Yeah, and then, um, Miguel, that hypothesis, I believe, has been overturned. Oh, really? In the sense okay. that even though the Hermetic texts the the uh, parchments that have been d discovered are uh, traced back to the first and second century of uh, of of the common era. Mm -hmm. That the tradition of her hermeticism itself was an, as as most ancient traditions was oral, and right. the the references in terms of the uh, that are mentioned in the text refer to um, happenings in in. Pharaonic Egypt and ancient Egypt that go back millennia. So it doesn't really hold water in the sense that just the the text that was, or the parchment, the manuscript that was discovered may have been a translation or ascribed at a particular period in, in recorded history. It doesn't negate that the material itself, the philosophy, the oral tradition precedes that, the, that particular manuscript by, by millennia. So it's 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 a hypothesis. You were right. The there was a fallout, especially among scholars, because when when this when the Hermetic texts were first discovered uh, in a province of uh, in the mountains of uh, in the, what's presently known Macedonia, but at that time it was part of the Byzantinian Empire. It was thought that uh, Mo, uh, Her Hermes was a contemporary of Moses, and that he was an you know, a, a a king that of of ancient Egypt that uh, you know was was on the was at a point in time that almost predated history, um, and and then you know and through scholarly scholarly validation, I believe the scholar was Isaac Kozaban. He was able to determine by the language that it was used in terms of 
the Greek that was used that was from that the second century CE. But again, it doesn't it doesn't negate that the material itself that's referenced predates the the time of the of, of when that particular manus those manuscripts were were scribed by by hundreds if not thousands of years. Yeah, I agree with no. I've always said that Hermeticism is definitely older than Christianity. It's just it's a lore. It's an ancient lore. But uh, when it sort of fell out of favor, was it still popular in Egypt, or how did it? Uh, who who followed Hermeticism in Egypt during the Enlightenment and in moder modernity? Not Egypt, Italy. Did I say Egypt? I meant Italy. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was. I <laughs> I was hearing Egypt. So in in Italy, um, so the so the, the, there was a as you referred to alluded to earlier, there was this humanistic tradition uh, where um, scholars and and in the learned class were hungry for for ancient wisdoms. There, there was this return to the roots. To return to origins and um so the scholars of the day were were busy translating plotinus and plato and aristotle and so forth and so th there was this culture that was generated and it was around the time that a, a lot of other um uh esoteric material came to light such as the tarot which uh, again um, the the earliest traces of the Tarot date back to Renaissance Italy. So there there was this re, this as the name Renaissance rebirth. There's this theme of of renewal, of return to the origins, is is to get back to 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 the roots of 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 who we are as 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 a culture, as individuals, as a tradition. So the findings of these Hermetic texts really fit in with the period and the time. And uh, the, the, the humanistic uh, culture in Italy was really propagated by, by academies, which, were, which aren't what we think of academies here as, as some, some types of scholastic uh, institutions, even though there was a pedagogic, com pedagogic component, they were re really centers of esoteric uh, uh, knowledge and transference of, of information. And uh, the her hermeticism, in terms of the practices, was was really spread through these various channels of these academies, where scholars would go from one academy in Italy to an in one city of Italy to another to share the information, to share some of the manuscripts, to write out uh, some of the you know some of these ancient texts that were were getting to be translated uh, in Latin and in the vernacular. So there was this whole um, uh, thrust for renewal, for for discovering ancient wisdom, and to bring that to light and in, into the contemporary societies. So that, to me, was the the terra firma, the humus from which Hermeticism grew, specifically with the learned class. So some of the some of the scholars that I mentioned, uh, Fischino, who not only uh, translated Hermeticism but practice magic as well he was said to be born under the sign of saturn so he was prone to depression so to counteract that he would take out his uh his lyre and he would sing orphic uh, hymns to be able to elevate his spirits as a mean to counterbalance 
those Saturnian influences. So there, there was a whole series of, of practices that uh, accompanied the, these texts as well. And some of it, and not some of it, most of it was, was underground or esoteric because of the politics and the, um, the uh, theocratical society that Italy and the various nation states were, were, were under in that time. So the one had to practice it in a very reserved manner. But the academies were very big. There was a revival of the Platonic Academy in in Florence under the, the head of Marsilio Ficino. And from there, throughout the major cities of, of Italy, from Milan to Venice uh, to Naples, et cetera, that uh, Hermeticism was really diffused as a revival of this ancient wisdom, of this ancient theos- theosophical and Gnostic path to um to re- to reach into higher states of of being and let's move forward to um, a few centuries ahead in the 19th century obviously there was a, a cult revival in both uh, england and germany what was the atmosphere for the occult or the esoteric in the 19th century in in which italy in Italy. In Italy yeah. So the where the Miriam and Kramers differ from, say, um, esoteric movements such as the, um, the Golden Dawn and so forth, is that it, the the esoteric movement in Italy is sui generis. That means it's 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 from its own traditions and not from Germany that had a lot of influence from Hasidic or Jewish type of mysticism of the Kabbalah. So the the Italian uh, uh, esoteric tradition is roots in the Greco-Roman, Egyptian um, philosophies and and practices, and that's what really differentiates. So the Kabbalah has this the ten sephirot as the as a pathway to for the individual to to you know to to transcend their earthly earthly existence, and in the in the Hermetic tradition of Italy, there's the four bodies that um, Plato and Aristotle write about, the, the Saturnian, which is the hylic or the physical body, the lunar body, which is the emotional center, where love is the center, and then the mercurial body, which is the body associated with energies of the intelligence, and then there's the solar body, which is the subtlest component of the of the self, which is a, a divine nature. and and so the practice or the alchemical practice of this hermetic tradition is to um, integrate oneself to the principle uh, to be able to transfer one center of being from the physical, which most individuals are. They are the, the product of the experiences uh, received through their physical senses, the five senses, to one of transferring the center of their being to their to the root of their self, the solar self, which is called the, the Newman. And, and that in itself is to be able to transcend one's own physicality in a time-space dimension to enter into a, a, a more subtle dimension where the laws of, of physical nature uh, are, do not apply in the same manner. No, makes sense. And uh, we shouldn't definitely talk about uh, Marco Daffy. Could you tell the audience about him? 
Sure. Marco Daffy as was um, very interesting esoteric uh, figure in in 20th century Italy. Uh, timelines were born in 1900, died in 1969, and uh, he initially was associated with uh, Giuliano Kremitz, who's who was the leading esoterist of Italy of the last century and and of many centuries. He's sort of like the 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 Hermes of his time, so to speak, and he <laughs> yeah. was renowned for having um, very uh, high-level powers, initiatic powers. And Daffy had um, uh, Daffy met um, uh, Kremitz in the late twenties, and right away Kremitz recognized that Daffy was a, a man, a man with an emancipated soul, that he had certain powers that are uncommon, such as me mediumistic powers that to be able to telepathically connect uh, and to um, uh, see things that other people couldn't see. And Daffy was heavily influenced by Kremers, but he went beyond Kremers. When Kremers died in 1930, Daffy was perhaps, and not perhaps, but it was the leading hermeticist of, of Italy, perhaps of Europe of that time. And he wrote a number of, he wasn't really a, a writer, but he was in contact with a number of other esoterists where uh, through epistolary exchanges, the 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 documents, the correspondence that uh, Daffy had with the various followers were the material that um, I've translated and which I've continued, which I will be continuing to translate in further books. So Marco Daffy was a um, was a pseudonym. Uh, the the physical person behind Daffy's name, Baron Ricciardo Ricciardelli. Marco Daffy was his in, in, inner self. So one of the um, attributes that Daffy had was to do Pythagoras-like investigations of his ancient self. It's called anamnesis. It's a practice that you find in Plato about uh, finding your innate tra traits and, uh, and and going inside yourself to get outside of yourself. So uh, Baron Richardelli was able to do that and he divined that uh, he he was this ancient scribe named, um, or sacerdot named um, Marco, Marco Hefeda, which was a Phoenician sacerdot uh, a few thousand years ago. So there's a whole lore and, uh, and um, uh, there's a whole practice associated with that, which I'll write about uh, in my next book. But that, in essence, gives you a sense of of Marco Daffy. He was very much a highly elevated initiate with uh, certain uh, unusual powers um, that um, and a very strong gift for, for for going inside himself and understanding um, the the various components of gnosis to be able to transcend his physical self, to enter into a state that allowed him to, to have a view of time that superseded the linear uh, sense of time, if, if, if you get where I'm going with that. Got it, and very cool. Well, let's talk about the man himself, Giuliano Cremetz. Tell us about his life and how he embraced uh, the occult. Sure. So Kremers was born. Kremers predates Daffy. He was born. His his timelines are 1861 to uh, 1930. Uh, he was born in uh, in a 
a town outside of Naples called Portici. And in his house, as when he was growing up, there was a very highly uh, developed initiate named Izar bin Eskur, who was uh, one of the elders of this uh, secret order called the Egyptian order. And this Egyptian order goes back to uh, the source of the Egyptian Rite Freemasonry that was founded by Raimondo de Sangria uh, in the early 1700s. And Cagliostro was initiate into it. And uh, uh, Henri Schudi of, 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 of Switzerland was as well. And, and Rudolf Steiner, so on and so forth. So uh, Kremeritz, uh, as I mentioned, uh, in his in his house when he was growing up, there was this initiate, uh, a loner named Azar, who initiated Kremeritz at a younger age, and um, uh, Kremeritz developed these these faculties and these powers. And um, he won when he was uh, later on in his youth, uh, in his early early twenties, he was with his master Azar. And there was a, a pandemic in Naples, cholera pandemic. So not too dissimilar to what we've experienced here in the West uh, with this um, with this COVID, where people were dying left and right. And and um, uh, Kramer said to Izar that he wanted to to develop a, a practice where uh, where individuals and collective could harness psychic powers to be able to to use it for healing and for lessening of pain. So that led to Kremeritz going abroad to France and to South America to learn from various schools that practice mesmerism and magnetism and all kinds of healings. He, he also received a, a degree in conventional medicine. He came back in Italy in the, in the 1890s and he founded this um, journal called, uh, this magazine called the in Mondo Secreto, the secret world, where he espoused the the principles of both divine and natural magic, and specifically harnessed or or um, uh, focused on uh, on healing, and uh, he at, simultaneously is finding the founding this um, magazine in Mondo Secreto. He developed he founded uh, this uh, hermetic chain called the. Um, magical uh, therapeutic fraternity of Miriam, and he founded a school or an academy called the Italic uh, Classical Philosophical School. And uh, from there, uh, he attracted. It became the probably the, the preeminent esoteric center uh, in in Italy for the next twenty twenty five years, and attracted at some point around six to seven hundred members. There were like five degrees that went from a novice to a master Miriam. And it uh, the the statutes, uh, so the statutes are actually included in my book, the Hermetic Physician by Inner Traditions. And it 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 talks about the focus of the scope of the of the Miriam uh, is both to develop individual powers and collective powers. Uh, and he felt um that uh, Practicing hermetic healing is the best way to uh, heart or to minimize the ego and to develop um, uh, more um, a, a more balanced and uh, greater vision of of the world than of just focused on the self. At Parker, our purpose is simple. 
We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. That's a great summary. Yeah, and uh, for the audience, yeah, it was, uh, the, the, the outbreak was 1884, and obviously, as uh, David says, really changed the course of his life and uh yeah he had certainly a quite a, a varied amount of influences by your book david somewhere edward bulwer layton i think rasputin is used as somebody who used uh oaks the medicine from oaks well uh you mentioned count Cag cagliostro and so forth i think what egyptian freemasonry was uh, influential too in his life well egyptian egyptian freemasonry was one of the uh, branches from this so they're at the 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 vertice of all these um uh associations whether egyptian freemasonry or or rosicrucianism or the miriam at the the head of the of these various uh, branches is these is the egyptian order so the egyptian egyptian right freemasonry includes the right of misraim the right of memphis and the right of Memphis and Mizraim are just one current that um, radiates from this uh, center called the uh, Egyptian, um, the Egyptian order, the Great Egyptian Order, uh, which is a, uh, a a reserve circle of twelve uh, adepts of uh, of Hermeticism. So Egyptian Freemasonry in versus regular continental Freemasonry, the difference between what Egyptian is just much more hermetic. That would be it. Yeah, it's been described in that manner. Um, and, uh, you know, just a, a reading of some of the, the rites and some of the practices of Egyptian Freemasonry, say, example of what Cagliostro did. There was much more focus on on um, on hermetic practices. Um, rather than, uh, say, the continental or, or Scottish Rite um, uh, Freemasonry as well. So it, it had a different focus, and it, and it based much more on hermetic practices rather than Kabbalistic um, and other type of, of practices uh, that are associated with um, more of the conventional type of Freemasonry. Yeah, it makes sense. And uh, the question I had, uh, why did he call it the Fraternity of Miriam? If there's something you could uh, knock on uh, Hermeticism, it doesn't have a exactly a good focus on the divine feminine versus, let's say, Christian Gnosticism and a few others. Sure. So the Fraternity of, Mer of Miriam or the Brotherhood of Miriam, it represents the two antipodes of the order one is the brotherhood of humans of, of referring to the natural component and the other is the miriam which is the it's referring to a state of being a state of purity mary or maria being the the um in in christian theology as being the redeemer of 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 eve and uh the so for the for the Practicing Miriamite is to um, be able to transcend their human self, to reach a level of purity um, n n called or referred to as the Miriam, where one is able to 
harness into these powers, these powers of therapeutic powers, and to be able to transfer them in, in, in a magnetic way uh, for, for good, for, for, for healing, for relieving of pain and so forth. So the Miriam is the Kabbalistic name for Maria. It's also referring to that magical space that when uh, that uh, initiates can tap into to be able to purify themselves, but also to uh, transfer that purified energy to others for, for, for good. Makes sense. And Vince, what do you think so far? Do you have a question for David? Yeah, this is all new to me. So uh, is there any uh, modern vestige of these these movements or whatever? Uh, some Something you could point to either in Italy or the United States or any place else in the world? Yeah, I'm not familiar in, in the States, but in Italy there are certain... So what happened after Kramer's death in 30, 1930, the Miriam split into various camps, so not uncommon to what you see in, in a lot of initiatic groups where... You have self-proclaimed leaders, and 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 it it really turned into um, you know a, a very partisanal um, situation where there were multiple um, sectors that uh, were stating they were the true Miriam and so forth, and and to a certain extent that's continued to this day. Um, uh, so there's a, in Italy there's a number of different. Uh, groups that proclaim themselves to be the fraternity of Miriam with the I and some with the Y. Others call themselves Kremertzian orders, and and you know there there are other different types of 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 names and attributes that um, are used for more or less the same type of practices. And uh, so it it's the Miriam itself, the fraternity itself, after the demise of of Kremitz really split and fragmented until to this day. I mean, you'll see a lot of literature in Italian on Kremitz and, and the Miriam, and and sometimes or a lot of times it represents the various factions that are um, that are prevalent. Uh, some are that are have a more higher profile than others. That's interesting. Did, did Kremert stress the, the oneness and so forth uh, that traditional hermeticism does? Or, uh, you know, you'd think that would kind of propagate down to the people he left, you know, he left sure. his movement to. Yeah, sure, Vince. So he does, he does talk about it. And, and there is a credo, hermetic credo that refers to that. And I've translated uh, one of his um, writings on the one as well called Unus Solium. So the oneness of the soul, the soul of the sun representing the soul and and the representing God and the and the the one and the all. So it is very much um, anchored and rooted within traditional hermeticism, but also brought up to date for the exigences of, of contemporary society. It's not just a rehashing of the of the same old principles and, and doctrines. It's it's based on those foundations, but it's also brought to a context that is applicable and is understood in in a in today's society and by today's per individual yeah is this uh, basically the same thing as the perennial philosophy is this is that tied into all this well the per perennial philosophy i mean every, the, this is a tradition that has its roots in hermeticism and hermeticism is is definitely at least from a western perspective part of the perennial philosophy. 
Um, and uh, Ficino wrote about that um, as, as well. It's different than, uh, so, say, something if you're referring to the tradition of René Guénon, uh, if, if you're if that's what you're referring to, there 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 really is an association with it, but um, it's a perennial philosophy in the sense that the roots are are to a tradition, a Western tradition that has been recognized as such. So why do you think all these um, factions came to be after Kermit's uh, demise? What was their uh, it, disagreement? It follows human, <laughs> you know, human <laughs> human development, human. Yeah. Uh, which, which end type. of the egg? Exactly. <laughs> Who's going to be the end alpha? Of the cosmic you know, egg? When, when the, you know, everybody wants to rule the world. Wasn't that yeah. a song? Mm-hmm. Tears you know, for fears. So, you know, when, when, you know, it's again, very common. Same with the golden dawn. How many golden dawns are there? You know, I mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's perennial. It's the splitting up. Religious exactly. science did the same thing. Like after Ernest Holmes died, you know, um, you know, he, actually, his brother left, and then after he died, you know, it split up into two pieces. And there's so many different story. Christianity itself, of course, Islam too. Between uh, yeah, the Sunnis, Sunnis and the Shiites, Shia. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very common. I mean, I I stay away from that. I'm I I consider myself an independent researcher, an author, and biographer, uh, historian. So I don't, I don't try to get involved in, in the politics and stuff. Even though it's when you're interviewing people of, uh, associated with these various groups, they always want to bring you into. Don't talk to this one, and you know it's <laughs> uh-huh. always, it's, it's. I mean, I've heard it so many times before. It's just, uh, it's like a skit from from a comedy show. <laughs> Were there any interesting questions that, 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 you know, there's, there's a true need for disagreement, you know, left over in hermeticism that, you know, they're legitimately taking one pole or the other, or is it just trivial garbage? I think, um, Vance, I think that the issue has to do with, with the legitimacy. So in Ah. terms of the uh, passing on the tradition, who's a legit legitimate upholder of the tradition. I think that's what they 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 come down to, but Kremers even himself said on his deathbed, the one wish he had for the Miriamites is that they stay united and that they don't break Oops. into into uh, self indulgent um, bickering among themselves among themselves and and literally upon the day the next day of his death, uh, that that's what actually happened. So there were self proclamations from different chiefs and so forth and it, it just um, again it follows a very predictable uh, morphology so it's but again I, I to me that's the the human aspect of it which i'm less interested is on the perennial philo- philosophical component yeah about how one can go inside oneself to get outside of itself to be able to tap into these energies these pristine levels of being and bring that to the surface um, yeah, for, for practical uses. And uh, it should be mentioned too, uh, definitely an important topic, but how did uh, Mussolini's rule affect the uh, fraternity of Miriam? Because obviously El Dulce was not a friend of Freemasons and other secret societies. Yeah, so exactly. Um, exactly, Miguel. So when, so 
the, the Miriam itself um, relaunched its focus in the, in the 20s after the First World War. And it was about that time that Mussolini's black shirts came into power. And they were very anti-Masonic and stating that the Masons were an internationalist group that were against the national interests of Italy. And um, so the, the fascists actually saw everything that wasn't, you know, uh, orthodox for, to their perspective as masonry. So they, they, they grouped in uh, the, this uh, fraternity, which had nothing to do with Freemasonry, but because it was of an esoteric nature and had symbols, symbolisms that they didn't, weren't familiar with, they, they lumped it in with masonry. And I think some of the fascist squads uh, raided uh, uh, a, a temple in uh, in Bari in southern Italy, and and so the the the, the academies itself, the the hermetic chains had to go underground and really dissolved in the in the mid twenties because of the fascist interdiction against uh, secret societies. Didn't uh, Kremitz himself leave Italy? He moved to where uh, yeah, Monaco. So, yeah, yeah, Kremitz left Italy actually before that. Oh, Kremitz okay. left Italy. He took up stay next door uh, in Monaco, uh, uh, next door to Italy in Monaco. Um, so he was actually uh, living in in Monaco, in the French part of, of Monaco, for, for about 12 years before fascism came into power. But his, his, he, he was still um, overseeing the fraternity and the academies from Monaco throughout Italy. So they had to the, the the academies and the I guess the organized structure of the movement of the order had to go underground because of the repression from the from the fascist government of the time. Yeah, it's something else. And yes, uh, why don't we talk about what many in the audience are interested in, and that's the uh, the core, the tenets of uh, Kremert's hermetic healing. And uh, for the audience, the book does have a couple of rituals, the ritual of the Sagittarius and ritual of the Aries for you magicians out there. But David, why don't you tell the audience what was the the core or thrust of uh, his hermetic healing? What was it about? Yeah, uh, before I get into the specifics, the book does capture the biography of of Kramer, it's a history of the of the Miriam itself. It goes into quite extensively on the doctrines of Hermeticism, the Hermetic practices, and includes the statutes, uh, includes um, all this material that it wasn't published or was m- meant just for members. And it does include two rituals of the uh, s- spring and and fall equinox. Um, the the tenets of the self of the practice is is based on, as I mentioned earlier, of a magnetism of a you know, touch touching or, or, or entering into uh, a state of a purity where uh, energies are collected among the various members. So there are certain rituals that included um, fasting, ablutions, uh, included uh, various talismans. Uh, uh, synchronization with celestial and lunar configurations, etc., and there there are certainly rituals as well to to be able to tap into the, those states that that levels of purity where that energy can be collected and then stored and 
and use for, for healing. So it's very much based on a convergence of, of human and, 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 and celestial magnetism of energies, subtle energies, and to project them uh, for, for healing purposes. And at the same time as you write, he wasn't just some magus. He believed in the sort of fusion of Western medicine and Egyptian magic or med- or healing. Well, it the 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 inspiration of the Miriam itself was based on the ancient um mystery tradition of healing, where healings would take place in in uh in, in the various mystery schools and and that, you know, under various Traditions like of Asclepius, for example, where patients were entered into dreams, and when they get into that subtle, subtle state, they are more prone for for transformations than in a physical state. So, a, a lot of those Egyptian and Greek and ancient Roman practices were modernized to make it um, based on the latest scientific evidence. But the principles were the same: was that there needed to be a a fusion or a uh, a convergence between the the protect- practitioner and the afflicted party and those and those there the, the the states where those enhancement where those properties were enhanced are part of the, the the therapeutic magical practices that are written about in the book at the same time he did believe too from reading the hermetic physician in really the power of the mind or the power of the psyche or the unconscious. I mean, there's one section, David, where he he used placebos like sugar pills, which is something doctors did in the early 20th century, which worked really well. Yes, and it was based on the on the 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 theorem that the the individual heals themselves, that we have the powers within each of us to heal ourselves because we are the, we are one of the universe and the powers that are collected in the universe are all reside within us. So some of his experiments to determine what the active agents are was to use placebos. Um, and the, the, the sense of to being able to understand, to diagnose the ailment that the individual had also allowed the practitioner, the 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 magus, the the therapeut, to be able to assist the individual in their own healing. So the the practices are are it's not just a one size fits all. It's very complex, and there are based on the diagnosis, there are various types of of therapeutic interventions that possibly could be used to assist the individual, depending on the level of the of the sickness that they have, whether it was a physical sickness, psychological, or had deep, deeper roots in the karmic imprinting of the afflicted party. Yeah, I think I agree that the power of the mind is uh, underrated even today. I mean, even beyond the placebo, David, I don't know if you've ever heard of the nocebo effect, where you can actually convince somebody to that they're sick and get them to throw up, have a fever, all that stuff. I mean, sure, we can I do mean, a hip- lot with hypnotism, our brains. <laughs> hypnotism works with those exactly uh, with those principles, but um, there was a um, practice that uh, highly developed adepts of the Miriam use called um, valorization, where through their ability to 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 project out um their will they're able to imprint the will on on either an individual or, or on objects 
an example was that uh, Kramers, when he was a novice, he was uh, walking along the beach with his master, Izar, and he asked his master that, um, you know, if he could help him to have a cure to prevent him from, from nightmares occurring. And Izar picked up a, a shell at the at the the side of the of the of the water's edge of the of the beach and it said here you you take this shell and uh, you're you won't suffer from nightmares and Kramer says is this, is this does this occur through my self-suggestion and Izar said no even if you don't believe in the power of this shell it will still clear your mind of nightmares because my will's imprinted in it that is very cool and I guess the, the question is uh or the, what we should say is the proof is in the pudding. How, what was his batting average? Did he heal a lot of people, or what well, do we know? Yeah. So one of the um, so the one of the critiques that Daffy has about the Miriam is that they weren't very good record keepers. So they would just say in their archives that so and so came in with with such and such of a diagnosis, and they were healed, or were they not healed, or or you know they were sent to 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 another um, another therapeutic intervention. However, he didn't say you know what you know how long it was. There wasn't a lot of statistical information, and and Kramer's always had the notion that these hermetic healing um, practices would eventually transform into clinics. That you know, like we have psychosomatic clinics and hypnotist clinics today that there would be hermetic clinics in Italy and throughout Europe that would be uh, refining these practices and taking it to the ne next level. But Daffy said the reason, you know, one of the reasons why the, the, the Miriam was never able to uh, develop in that, in, along that path was it was impeded by the, the hierarchs who, instead of uh, emphasizing a transparent and non-personal um, practice, we're we're boasting of their of their successes and of their, you know, their their abilities to heal and so forth. And it became less about their practices and more about their own individual wherewithal. So the the scientific basis that Kremerts put as the as the foundation of of hermetic healing was uh sort of put put aside for, uh, from the uh personal uh, uh inter uh, personal developments or ego ego inflation of the various hierarchs of the of the academies and the chains in the various cities of italy of the of that time makes sense and uh what about his views on arrows and love those were pretty cool too yeah, so so Kremerts had um, uh, wrote extensively about eros and love, saying that it was the um, you know the the primary magical force in in the universe, and that uh, you know uh, love that when it's stripped of its profane elements can lead to a sacred love that has uh, the potential to transform and transmute. Um, you know the, the bestial into the divine, and vice versa. The you know a profane type of love can transform uh, a, a sacred or a, a, a pure person into an impure person. So the power of of love as a as a means for transformation was highly regarded, and and 
highly written of by Kramaritz in his various books and writings. Yeah, I like that section myself. Uh, and as we get to the end, a uh, couple of uh, maybe, I don't know, side questions, but have you read the Hermetic text in the Nag Hammadi Library? I believe it's the Discourse of the Eight and Nine and the Prayer of Thanksgiving. Yes, I have. I've, I've actually written, read them in French, though, not in English. Oh. When I, I had uh, the version I had was, uh, I think, one of the first versions that was translated, I believe, from Syri Syriac, Syriac, Syrian to uh, to a Western language was French. So so I, 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 I am familiar with that a um, couple of decades ago, though. Yeah, I just think it's amazing. The discourse of the eight to nine gives so many like... Uh new prayers and actual rituals kind of stuff that's been missing from hermeticism for a long time so i think it really adds to it so and the prayer of thanksgiving is obviously very beautiful about transformation and the gnosis of the father and all that and well that sleep is obviously it's a copy from uh the traditional text so but uh yeah i was just curious so vance as we get towards the end do you have any uh questions or thoughts for david yeah i was wondering uh, you know so many of the things you've been mentioning um you know um, that come from hermeticism are present in modern day mystery schools and and uh, quote-unquote new age movements are there any organizations or movements today that you feel are the closest to Kremertz's work i don't think so i, I think it's uh, without I think the the work that, as I mentioned, the the points of reference that Kremers and uh, the Miriam has isn't really um, available um, in a forum that uh, is that speaks to that level. Um, it's it, again, I I my reference point was to the Hermeticism of the Renaissance time, and and man as as this as this um has this as this medium for the divine and and the and the and the animal and uh, you know the the power that man has to create to make um which is uh fundamental as in the in the renaissance and that's why the, the works the creation that we had of art and architecture and society in the renaissance hasn't been equaled um and and i think the the influence, the inspiration that Kremers has is from that time, and not from so much from the New Age, from some of this stuff that um, you know we seem pumped out. But really, is is you know it's it's so generic and and so diluted with with some of this you know modern thinking that um, it's diff it's 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 not really fair to associate it. This is something a tradition that, as I mentioned, that goes back. Um, hundreds of years and, and and even even longer to to a, to a, a real font of tradition where um, forces are tapped into that uh, that connect the individual reorient individual in a certain trajectory that is not common in the West. Okay, fair enough. Lastly, um, are you aware of anything Kremertz thought about the other esoteric? movements of the day in the early 20th century yeah i think i think it's fair to say kremitz was influenced from martinism 
Um, I think he thought highly of Eliphas Levy, where he mentioned that he was perhaps the the only continental esoteric writer that um, uh, had affinities with the tradition that uh, he was representing. Um, and of course, uh, he had uh, uh, in-depth firsthand knowledge and, and teachings from the French um, mesmerists and uh, magnetic, magnetic school that uh, were popular in the late 1800s. So, um, and, and Rosicrucian as well, that, um, you know, a lot of that stuff is derivative. Uh, the, the sources come from um, areas of practice of experimental schools that um, later were incorporated into some of these more uh, public groups that like, like the, the Golden Dawn and so forth. But the where they were first originated, even Paracelsus was a huge influence for Kremitz as well. Cagliostro, as I mentioned, so there, there's certainly a connection with um, contemporary esotericism, but in the sense that you know to take what what can be used, and but not to um, not to uh, uh, compromise on the principles of the tradition that they're representing or that they were a part of right thanks yeah excellent oh and lastly i always like to ask this to guests uh just for a point of reference are there any movies or uh tv shows that you go this is really hermetic this really embodies hermes or i like the way they incorporate hermeticism or alchemy any any that ring a bell david um that's a really that's a really tough question. I I think um, I mean, we can always say my, Harry Potter and just my, wash our hands. That's a, my <laughs> my basic definition of magic is applied intelligence. Oh, I love it. Um, and, and intelligence of the seven forms. Um, that to me is what her- hermeticism is is applied intelligence. So any any movie that is of intelligent that has a, a deeper layer than what captures your your physical senses is to me hermetic and anything that inspires you that uh that um raises your spirits and 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 provides you with some of those intuitive um gold is magical and that's where we should be living is life magical not in the mundane sense you know it's so anything that's hermetic is is to me is it has an intelligence uh, that goes beyond the the common senses and anything that inspires you or um, uh, sublimes le- leads you to a level of sublimation out of the normal is is magical and the rest is all marketing is branding as far as i'm concerned <laughs> oh that's a wonderful answer and i love it so awesome well we are at the end of the interview where can people find out more about you website and so forth they could find out I'm on uh, Facebook or, or Instagram. Uh, send me a note. I know a few have already reached out to me that want to find more information or, or chat or whatever. Certainly, by all means, like to be open and transparent and, um, you know, welcome inquiries. David Pantano on Facebook or, or on Instagram. It's a good place to start. You always can write to the publisher as well, Inner Traditions. but. I'm I'm pretty accessible fellow. 
Wonderful. And your next book, uh, what's it going to be? Next book's going to be on Marco Daffy. It's going to be called the the uh, the Magical Baron, and it's going to be a sequel to this book. It's going to be a lot more in terms of his practices and some of the uh, avataric components of his um, initiatic voyages and and, and journeys. Um, so it's going to be really exciting, and um, hopefully it'll be out uh, next year. Wonderful. Well, in the meantime, audience, I highly recommend you read The Hermetic Physician. A lot more in the book that is just simply fascinating and really gives us a sense of perspective and honors those who really innovated and carried these mysteries, which are needed more than ever today. But uh, yeah, first of all, Vance, thanks for keeping us company. Oh, it was uh, very interesting to find out more about uh, Kremertz and uh, enjoyed that. And from this point on, if anybody says I'm a little daffy, I won't be so insulted. (laughs) (laughs) Your avatar, yes. Awesome. Well, David, uh, really appreciate you coming on Aeon Byte and certainly appreciate uh, you writing this book and uh, good luck with everything. Thanks for having me, Miguel. And thanks, Vance. It was uh, the the hour went by really, really quickly. And um, I appreciate you having me on. Pleasure all hours. Thank you. Take care, guys. And there you have it, you shining, crazy diamonds. David providing red pill suppositories galore and the history of amazing figures we should all know about. As mentioned in the intro, we could only do an hour because of some Archon monkey shines. So for all subs, I will include a past interview with Tobias Churton where he discussed Hermetic philosophy, the connection of Hermes and Enoch, and a lot on Hermeticism and modernity. Pure alchemical gold. You'll love this bonus. So please support this Red Pill Cafeteria if you find value in the content. I can't do it without you. And the Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom is more important than ever. We either access, quote, the religion of the mind, or Yaldi Baldi and his Epstein angels turn humanity into a lifeless machine once and for all. Keep in mind that in Patreon, there are tiers that work for your needs, your financial needs, so you can support as little or as much as you want. And the Red Circle sub is only $4.99 a lunar cycle for all complete shows. If you want to support with crypto, just let me know. I'll send you the info. And don't forget my Amazon wishlist, merch store, and voiceover services. And as always, if you just need this heresy, let me know, and I'll give you any full show or even a temporal sub on the casa. No one here is getting rich except for our consciousness. For all subs, led us to Tobias Churton's incredible insights on the Hermetics. For everyone else, thanks for being here, and I hope you've had your mind expanded and reality disbanded. Write your own gospel, live your own myth. Take it away, Tobias. In 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.